Hello and welcome to Abiding in Hope, a production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AMA 20. I am Marianne Jepson. I am a Catholic counselor in Columbus, Ohio, and my co-host is Father John Sims Baker, who is the vice rector of the College of Liberal Arts at the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, and it is great to have you with us today. Um, Our show is about uh, how we find hope through all of the challenges that we have in life. And um, we know that in this world we w- will have troubles. We were told that by Jesus, and um, and we most of us do have those troubles, and we find them uh, many times each day. Uh, if you're anything like me, <laughs> many times each day. And so Father Baker and I are here that we might be able to help you somewhat along the path of life. Um, you can give us your questions at abidinginhope.com. Again, that's abidinginhope.com, and we will use those on future shows. We have been so blessed by so many great questions. And even though these questions are sent in by individuals, we find that they are never just pertinent to the person that sent them in. They are pertinent across the board to so many of us at different times of our life. And so, Father, it's great to have you with me, as always. Great to be here, Marianne. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Would you start us off with prayer, please? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and bless you and glorify you. We lift up to you today, everyone listening to this program today, those who have sent in questions that we'll talk about today. We ask your blessing on us today as we are in this in the midst of this program, that all of this will be used for, you, for your glory uh, and for the good of souls. And we ask these prayers through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we also always ask the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so you ready for the first question, Father? Sitting on ready, rocking on go. Okay, I I take that as the green light. So here we go. (laughs) This one comes from Jill. Hi, Marianne and Father Baker. Can you comment on the difference between serving others and becoming a doormat? With doormat in parentheses. It seems in life there is a fine line between the two. How do we set healthy boundaries while at the same time maintain a servant's heart and put others before self? This topic came up in a Walking with Purpose discussion on John 13. And you'll love this one, Father. She ends with, thanks for this great program. Ha ha. That's great. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for that, Jill. That's wonderful. Well, Jill, um, it's a very good question. Um, First of all, I would say it is important always to know that in every healthy relationship, there are boundaries that are appropriate to that relationship. And, of course, those boundaries are different depending on what the the relationship is. And I think on the boundary side of things, I might let Marianne talk more about that. She is a real expert on boundaries. We discovered in our discussion before our going on the air today. You're embarrassing me. No, you are. You're great. You're great. So, um, But I I did want to – when I was reading and thinking and maybe trying to pray about your question a little bit, it seemed to me that 
a lot of the difference is something uh, between, as you said, serving others and becoming a doormat is that's really more interior than exterior. Um, and we can see this in the life uh, of Jesus himself. There are, there are times when Jesus maybe seems to be acting like a doormat, but I would say he's not. For example, during the Passion, uh, in the trial before Pilate, for example. Well, obviously, Pilate has all the power in an earthly sense in that situation. Jesus doesn't contest anything, so much so that uh, even Pilate says, aren't you going to say anything? And yet, when you read the Passion narrative, when you read through that, you have this sense that Jesus is really in control of the situation. Jesus and his decisions and his will is what's really driving the situation. And this is what I I think the church means by meekness, which is not the same thing at all as weakness, which is what the world, I think, thinks to be meek and to be weak are the same thing. Because in this situation, even though Jesus is allowing himself you know, to be like a, a lamb taken to slaughter, it is his will and it is his decision. He is accomplishing his mission and his plan. Um, he has, there's great strength, actually, in his meekness here. And I think that can very much be the, true for us as well. Sometimes we can be in a situation that is, is very, very difficult, um, and we choose maybe a course of action that might seem like what someone also might choose as a doormat, <laughs> just being walked over. But we choose that we think this is what is best in this situation, or what is God's will in this situation? I was sharing with Marianne before the program a story from a. There's a play by the poet T. S. Eliot called "Murder in the Cathedral," and it's about a Saint Thomas of Becket, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, who was murdered literally in Canterbury Cathedral. And in this play, uh, T. S. Eliot has these tempters coming to him right at the end. He kind of knows that the king has people, you know, coming for him. And and some of the temptations are pretty obvious ones. Oh, well, you know, flee or do this or capitulate to the king or something like that. Pretty obvious temptations that he obviously resists. But the last temptation is, oh, uh, be a martyr you know, you're going to win in the end, which is kind of the doormat mentality I think you're talking about. Um, the interesting thing is, uh, it's not, we don't know if he, you know, did succumb to that temptation. Obviously, the church doesn't think so. He's a canonized saint. He decided just to do what was right, to stand for the truth, even though that meant he would lose his life. Um, but what I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is, that it's not the external action. The external action would have been the same, or lack of action. It was his his inter- interior resolve. And so I think a lot of times that's what we have to do. We are faced with a situation, and we may choose you know, to suffer something, to endure something, to turn the other cheek, um, to wash the feet, or whatever it may be. Because we think that is God's will. That is what is the best thing to do in this 
moment in this situation rather than out of a passivity. So that's what I would say on that, but that the, the, the doormat or serving others isn't necessarily sort of an either or or something that's obviously uh, visible on the outside, but more is determined by your interior disposition and maybe to ask God to show you the strength and meekness. Now, I think I'm going to let Marianne maybe talk some about the boundary issues as well as other things. But I but don't I, know if the boundary <laughs> because I may be too harsh with my boundaries. <laughs> I remember in the past you had talked about, you know, have boundaries but don't a- amputate. And I think that's a, that's a really important – I've thought about that so many times and have actually used that um, afterwards. I, the, the key is not to amputate. Jesus didn't amputate Judas in John 13, which I might have done. I don't, I, I, you know, it's a struggle sometimes. And I see that in your, in your question here and the other women in your walking with purpose group, you know, Jesus washed the feet of all of those, all of the apostles. He washed them. He knew that John, or um, I'm sorry, Judas was going to betray him, yet with his servant heart, he went and did it. He knew that he was about to be betrayed. Oftentimes, we don't even know that we're about to be. We might just not like people, whatever. Um, but yet, Jesus tells us to love as he has loved. And I think that's the, you know, we see so much in the Gospel of John, the the imagery of the darkness and the light, and I think that that's all through there. I think that whenever we draw boundaries, we always have to draw them on the side of light, not on the side of darkness. So if there's anger, if there's malice, if there's any, um, well, and there might be righteous anger in our hearts, in a sense. We might be able to say, like Jesus, you know, when he went into the temple, he he wasn't too happy with all of those um, people who had turned the temple into a marketplace. He was pretty angry. Um, we may have that. We may have other anger that's based on our pride, whatever it is when we're drawing boundaries, because people have betrayed us or hurt us. Or if we're going to have a boundary, let it be one of those where, what the person is doing is absolutely wrong, and we have to tell them, no, I will not be a partner in that in that wrong, in that sin, in whatever is hurting you or drawing you down. I can still be a servant with the love of God in my heart if I say no to something that is a sin or is wrong or is hurtful or harmful to the person who is doing it. So I think that's where... There's no doormat in saying no to a sin or something that is hurtful or harmful to others. That is doing it actually in love, and that's where we have to have those boundaries. We have to speak the truth, and we have to speak them in love, and that's where we always have to check ourselves in the process of that. Am I doing this because of my pride? Am I drawing this boundary or am i doing this because i love that person yeah that's always the the our our external actions always have to spring from the interior that's the great sort of revolution of course that jesus did was to have the uh to take the law and to interiorize it you know we see that in the sermon on the mount where he'll mm-hmm. take prescriptions of the law and say 
okay, the the law said don't do this external act. And Jesus says, okay, don't do that external act, but also look at your heart. Mm-hmm. Look into your heart and see mm-hmm. what's there, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that that's the thing we have to come from the inside out. And I think the thing, and I think Jesus did that beautifully too, you know, when he um, offered that morsel of food to Judas, knowing he was the betrayer, and yet he washed his feet. He lovingly did that to a man who was about to betray him, but he also didn't take away his free will. He's, he, as we should, realize whether these are our children or are, we will do our best to try and convince them to not take a certain action or there are others, you know, friends or people who hurt us, um, our spouses or whoever it might be. They have their free will and that's their choice. If they're adults and they're choosing something against you, you can still love them and you can still pray for them. You do not have to agree with their action. That's done out of their free choice. And um, just as as um, Father and I talked in a previous show about suicide, um, we still need to pray for those people who do actions that we may not understand, whether they're done out of despair or whatever, we turn them to God. We're not the judge. We're just the servant. And... Um, so I guess, uh, I don't know, you have anything else to offer on that question, Father? But just to you know, encourage you in that, you know, the, 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 the struggle, the willingness to, to engage in the struggle is, mm-hmm. is very important. When things yeah. aren't necessarily clear, yeah. uh, you know, we, we aren't robots and we can't be programmed with an algorithm and that sort of thing. <laughs> like when this happens, always do that. <laughs> do and so there's always a, yeah. there's always a nuance and things. And so that's where we have to allow the Holy Spirit to enter in. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. we have to have a well-formed conscience so that in these countless situations, we can have confidence in the choices that we make um, and, and to have an obedient heart to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to a well-formed conscience. So those are the things that can help us in these situations that you could never foresee ahead of time necessarily. So, Right. Interesting. So uh, I am hoping that all of you women listeners who are doing Walking with Purpose and have had discussions on John 13, that this might be <laughs> shed a little bit of light rather than darkness in that area, um, as the whole Gospel of John is about. So anyway, um, thank you, Jill, for that question. I think it was an excellent one, and we most appreciate that. Again, you can send your questions to abidinginhope.com and join in on all of the fun here. So, Father, we have another question. This one from Randy. Hi, I am a listener and a physician. Here is a question I would ask you to consider. How can we pastorally help reluctant family members to accept the medically obvious, irreversible decline and deterioration of their elderly parents? And um, in parentheses, it says that the parents accept this biologically biological reality more frankly and willingly than the children themselves. Often we physicians and nurses find that the adult children of our elderly patients do not accept the inevitability of the death of their parents, and they instead desire to continue futile care or unnecessary invasive procedures. Any advice you can give is most helpful. Thank you. All yours, Father. 
Well, thank you for uh, it's it's wonderful to have a a physician ask a question like this and I think what I would say to start off with is you know to realize that this is much much more than a medical question actually. Mhm. You've got a lot yeah. of, you know, personal and family dynamics going on here and so I would encourage you and the nurses that you refer to in dealing with this situation frankly first of all to realize that we're dealing with a complex interpersonal relationship you are and that you may only know the tip of the iceberg <laughs> to tell you the mm-hmm. truth as much as you can you know to accompany these people to be patient with the situation to try to understand it um and not to just sort of uh maybe insist on a medical decision when maybe the people aren't quite there yet, to tell you the truth. So uh, I'll just give an example of this. It's not exactly uh, on point to this because this wasn't an elderly patient, but it was someone who was injured very suddenly and in a, uh, you know, again, as you say, medically obvious, irreversible decline. I was just called in uh, to this hospital and with the there was the the the, the patient was the husband, uh, the wife was there. It was a younger uh, the, uh, couple. They weren't that that old. They had children, and the wife wasn't so much insistent as at this point it seems still just confused by the situation and needed more time. And I as as it as it worked out, I was impressed in working with these doctors. Actually, that's the reason why they had called. Uh, for a priest, they had found out that this family were practicing Catholics, and they thought, well, maybe having a priest would help with some of these other issues that were were going on. And they were really lovely, um, and they were in no rush. Um, they, of course, didn't want the patient to have you know have to undergo any um, additional suffering whatsoever, but. But they were willing to allow some time. And very fortunately for my sake, they had, they had reached out to a number of priests. And another priest showed up who actually himself was also a physician. And I was very relieved when he talked to these doctors and obviously came to the same conclusion as they had about the medical situation. Uh, and and so so I just realized that you are, are, are often dealing with, I think maybe with these elderly um patients and their children, maybe a lot of unresolved family issues. There may be things that somebody needs forgiveness or needs to forgive or this or that or the other. There may be old who knows what going on in the family dynamics. And that probably has as much or more to do with with some of the behaviors and decisions that you may be seeing than the medical situation. And so I would encourage you maybe try to involve more people. Um, uh, you all, I'm certainly can give very great medical guidance, but maybe it's time to call in the chaplain. Maybe it's time to talk to the family and say, "Do you is your pastor available?" Or to say, "Is there a um, you know maybe there's a you know a, a social worker or psychologist who might be able to to come in." I know in my in my own situation in my own life when my when my father was 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 dying and in a you know irreversible you know situation 
my sister and I consulted with a uh, a religious brother who is an expert in in uh, medical moral issues, just to make sure mm-hmm. that the course of action that we were contemplating and was being presented by the doctors was really the right way to go and 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 allow that kind of broader consultation or allow the the family to or urge the family to consider let's focus on the patient here maybe there's some issues that you all have with each other but right now we really need to focus on what's best for the patient and that sort of thing and maybe get other people to help in that process that that would be my advice yeah, and I think that's all great advice, Father. I, I, As you were talking, I was thinking, it takes me back to my days when I was an intensive care nurse and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, the, the and also then there's that counselor aspect that comes in. Um, there's that. And, and there's, there's that. And there's <laughs> so many things that could be going on inside of the family members. They're not the ones experiencing the pain, per se, the physical pain, but they could be the ones who are experiencing, you know, the psychological pain, the sorrow, the grief of of saying farewell. And some people do not have an understanding. They don't have... Um, they may not have faith. They may not understand that actually if this is the end of a life well lived in in Christ, that this is, you know, their reward is, you know, it could be with the next heartbeat. Uh, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing for a life well lived. But if these people don't have faith, that's that's a a, a difficult um, bridge to, uh, to gap there, right? So... Um, there could also be struggles between the children, you know, um, is there um, power of attorney struggles with one child over another or who's the oldest? You know, there could be so many struggles going on. And as you said, Father, they they may just not be ready, you know, to surrender whatever their own issues are. If we can get them to understand that is these patients are they understand that this is irreversible decline. They are the ones who are suffering the pain. Um, they are tired of being poked and prodded and procedured to death, which is which is going to kill them more, the disease or the procedures, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is hurting them more. And that's where, of course, we always have to look as if, if there is any procedure to be done. Is there really a, a true value that's coming at the end of this procedure, or is this just something that is appeasing the the children or the the other family members? Um, conversations with them, if you're able to have them, or if the chaplain or um, someone else. I know it's very difficult because um, I have I have been in the midst of those things when I was a nurse as well. It's very difficult, and some people just are not ready to give up. And there's other things, too, that people will have, um, which is rather sad, that they have a distrust, some, of Mm -hmm. hospital personnel, that they're either out to get our money or they're out to just get rid of these people or one thing or other. And, um, And in this world... Um, because hospitals have so often become more of a business and less of, you know, that real caring kind of thing. You look at dollars. They look at dollars. They look at um, how many, how many f- 
patients has this physician, you know, had the mortality of under their care, whether that is something that really has been a, a an understandable thing, it, it, but it also does fall back against the doctors. There's so many things that go into this equation. And if all people can keep a level head and really truly look at the patient as the one who, if at all possible, needs to make these decisions um, within, you know, and, and you're not always dealing with Catholics, but we who are Catholics need to, uh, physicians and nurses need to look at, the. we have some great websites that you can get information from. Um, there is the Catholic Health Association, which has developed a great guide based on the ethical and religious directives for Catholic health care services, which comes out by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. There is also the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Um, if at all possible, and you're, you're a listener, you're not a patient yet, go to the National Catholic Bioethics Center or some of these things and have your health care directives based on these written in advance so that it it causes less confusion for your family members when they're at your bedside. That is wise advice for any one of us, whether we're, you know, 25 or 85. Um, let your family members know in advance that you don't want extraordinary means. And then sometimes when you're at that end of life, what does ordinary means, what would ordinarily be ordinary means may not be ordinary means when someone is about to die. Um, there, You can get these distinctions if you read these documents at the Catholic Health Association or um, the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Health Care Services or the National Catholic Bioethics Center. And that's what I would advise that everyone do in these situations. Do it before you need it. Right, and also designate a, a power of attorney for health care. That's right. Someone who's knowledgeable and able to deal with these things. Father, I think we are at the close of another show, and um, we have the ability to talk, don't we? Time oh. flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's safe to say, Mary I hope it's a gift. We're talkers a- for sure. So. <laughs> anyway, it's been a pleasure to have you all with us today. Thanks for tuning in. Again, send your questions to abidinginhope.com and keep Father and I talking and hopefully helping um, our listeners. So, Father, would you please send us out with a blessing? Let us, let's pray. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And you can catch us on Mondays at 1230 and Sundays at 2 p.m. We also are on the archives at stgabrielradio.com. Till next time, God bless.